WebmasterRadio.fm, the destination for education and entertainment. Cover story. Cover a story or attain that coveted story. Get it? That is exactly what you want. Quoted as the expert, the story, headline, the spin. Every week, join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public. Your public. Craft your image. Promote your products. Create expert status. Become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101. Crisis management. Media blitzing. It's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cover Story. This is Brandy Shapiro-Babin, and I am joined with David McGinnis, the president of PR Web, and Mick Jolly, director at PR Web. Hey, you guys. Hey. How, how you doing, Randy? I, honestly? Honestly, how you doing? It's a great day, right? <laughs> Actually, I think I'm getting one of those change of season colds. So um, Everybody's in the mindset to wind down the year. I think that's what it is. Yeah, you think we've just been going so much that our bodies are finally saying... We're just shutting down. Yeah, you know, something that makes a little bit of sense, because I definitely, my, my body is definitely yelling at me, relax, you have a pool, go lay by it. <laughs> There you go. That sounds like a good time. Doesn't it? I'd like that for to be a, to be a reality. But you guys, you want to just jump right into it? Let's go. Let's, let's jump into it. I tell you what, I'm excited to have uh, Barry on board today, Barry Schwartz. It sounds like he's got some exciting things up his sleeve as far as uh, history and promotional endeavors that he's been involved in. I'm, I'm ready to learn. Yeah, I'm very excited, you guys. We actually have on the line with us, live now, uh, Barry Schwartz, who is the president of of uh, Schwartz Public Relations Associates, and he, he has an extremely illustrious background. Um, so without further ado, I'd love to introduce Barry Schwartz to the Cover Story Radio Show. Hello, when can I jump in the pool? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in it right now. We're, we're freezing our pippies up here in New York. Well, you got an open... That, that pool sounds good. Uh, you, know, so, well, you know something? Put your money where your mouth is. There's flights running every hour down to Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> See you in a couple of hours. That's perfect. See, we'll reserve. Randy keeps lots of ice on hand and. (laughs) See, with cover story, we reserve a headline and a lounge chair for you. Okay, how nice. How nice. That's terrific. So, Barry, what I'd like to do first, if we could, is you know give people an an introduction of sort of where you began, because you know we we sent out an an evite, sort of giving an overview of. of your career. Right. And you've done some really amazing things in many, many different fields. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm honored that you're here today because talking about creating newsworthy information and being able to um, really work for your clients and, and put them in a leading position. I mean, wow. Wow. Okay. But we'd like to understand, where do you come from? How do you get where you are today? Okay. Where, where do I come from as a person or as a PR person? You know something? I'm, I'm one of those rare breeds. I'm, I'm born and raised in New York, actually. Okay. So uh, uh, went to school here, went to uh, NYU, uh, spent uh, five years when I was at NYU uh, living, uh, moving from one about-to-be-condemned tenement to another. <laughs> okay. Which is about all a student could afford. Absolutely. And Get, so part of our curriculum it. was uh, building coming down parties. <laughs> okay. And then um, I was initially, uh, I had a master's degree in communications, which I guess they're calling public relations these days. Okay. And uh, 
studied a little bit of everything, journalism and marketing and television production and so forth. And actually, I started my uh, professional career when uh, I was uh, working for a company that was producing television shows. And I was assistant to the story editor on a couple of really good TV shows uh, way back, uh, the GE Theater with uh, Ronald Reagan as the host. Oh, wow. That's in the days when he was a union man. He was president (laughs) of the Screen Actors Guild. And uh, while I was working there, I met some folks who were in public relations who were telling me about the kinds of things that they were doing. And the first conclusion I came to was, Hey, I can do that. Okay, good for and you. And it also paid more money than I was making as a story editor. Okay. So uh, I changed careers. Okay, but what inspired you? I mean, because you, you know, you're an intelligent person, and I'm sure, um, you know, your experience at, at the production company, a lot of things came across your desk. What inspired you about? Well, I've always liked to write, and I've always liked to communicate with people, and and public relations uh, seemed like the best way to go. I I preferred that to advertising. And, uh, you know, of course, these days the whole PR industry has become much more sophisticated, so people have a greater understanding of what is public relations rather than advertising. But in the early days... You really had to explain the difference. And I I came up with an analogy that a lot of people responded to, and it's kind of been my mantra ever since. Okay. And and the analogy is this. uh, uh, Any any single guys out there, by the way? Oh, (laughs) sure. Not on the air with us this evening. Okay. But uh, I'm sure in the audience. But, you know, picture this. A single fellow walks into a, uh, a party, and it's a very crowded room, and across the room he sees the, the woman of his dreams. And he knows absolutely that he wants to spend the rest of his life with her. Now, if he went over to her and told her what a great guy he is, uh-huh. that would be advertising. Okay. But if he convinced her best friend to tell her what a great guy he is, that would be public relations. I love that analogy. That so fits. Plus, and, it lends and better And that's what I've always practiced. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, the, the, the courting of the respect and understanding of those opinion makers out there who, when they talk about your client's product or service or whatever it may be, it resonates more with the target audiences that you're after. It's very true because they're they're influencers. It's a question of believe it uh, of believability, and and you know I have great respect for the advertising profession. They do what they do very well, but I think when it cur- comes to being cost effective and productive at the same time, that uh, that public relations is probably the best vehicle around. Well, plus, I mean, let me ask you a question: What kind of ratio should you expect in return, like advertising dollars versus, like, let's say, dollar for dollar? Well, I mean, you're, you're, you really can't quantify. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, everyone's looking for a return on investment. Mm-hmm. So when, when you look at a situation like that, and let's say uh, you, you produce several pages worth of, of, of public relations coverage in various magazines, or if you get your client an eight-minute interview on a television show or something of that type, to measure it dollar for dollar mm-hmm. against uh, advertising uh, is not really the right way to go. Okay. But, you know, even folks as wise as the Public Relations Society of America and others in the industry have tried to somehow quantify a ratio. Okay. 
it's not an exact science, Brandy. It, it, it really isn't. Is it worth more? Yes, it is, because given the clutter of everything people have to face these days in terms of messages coming at them, uh, they're more apt to spend more time when something is presented to them editorially than they are with advertising. I mean, just look at a person reading a magazine, and they're flipping past pages uh, with advertising on them, and yes, at some point that ad will register, but they'll stop at the story they want to read. 100%. It's Same more thing. pertinent to I them. I mean, when people are watching television, it is less likely for them to take bathroom breaks right, when in the, the middle story of a segment. is on Correct. as opposed to when, when the commercials are running. Plus, your PR also... has a lot more residual effect, too. Yes, of course. And, and uh, yes, I mean, effective advertising can always create uh, great buzz. I mean, there are a number of folks who, who do that very well. Uh, Aflac, for example, you know, they've created an, uh, an icon with, with, their, with their talking duck. But, and that's advertising that's done it for them, and then they've maximized that by rolling that out public relations-wise, but it was advertising that, that was the immediate player. Right. But it doesn't always work that way. Uh, whereas with public relations, you know that if it's an editor or a TV personality or someone in the news talking about your product, talking about your service, talking about whatever message you want to get out there, then the likelihood is that it it registers with the folks that you're trying to reach. Right. Plus the fact. Okay, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Especially I'm... if you're a startup. And oh, you're, absolutely! You're, you're for fighting startup. for that credibility anyway. The advertising is, is not going to be as well. Well, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll give you a perfect uh, perfect case in point. Uh, we we have a relatively new client, a company called Word World, and this is a startup company. They've only been around for about six months. Uh, their uh, advertising budget right now is non-existent, but they've come up with a great idea, and basically, Word World is in the preschool literacy business, and they've come up with uh, a line of, of products that are really targeting little kids, anywhere from about two to six years old. Well, you can't sell to those little kids directly, uh, so you have to go after the moms and dads and caring adults in their lives. And their product line is kind of unusual. It's, it's little magnetic pull-apart uh, uh, plush figures that the children form words with. And then there are related interactive books and puzzles that go along with it. So when we were looking in that market, and we said, okay, uh, here's a little company with a great idea, quality product, uh, but, you know, this is a world that's populated by folks like LeapFrog and Fisher-Price and PlaySchool. How do we attract attention? Okay. So our own research showed that uh, there is a Washington, D.C.-based group called Reading is Fundamental, RIF. Uh-huh, absolutely. And, and RIF has uh, devoted itself to the whole subject of literacy. But our study of that showed that there was still a great gap to be filled when it came to preschool literacy, because a lot of experts out there have come to the, I think, correct conclusion that uh, if a child doesn't get the idea of reading by the time the child is, is five years old, it may well be too late. That's pretty scary, but it's true. It is scary. I can appreciate that, because there is, not to get off topic, but I think there is a perception with reading and being a child. 
Exactly. You were so what, what did yeah. we do? Uh, we didn't know anybody at Rift, but we went to them and decided to showcase our client's product. And the bottom line is that Rift loved it. And that last week, we had a major event in New York uh, announcing a, uh, a formal partnership between Riff and our client, WordWorld, that will involve a national preschool literacy program uh, starting uh, officially now, but uh, through all of next year, the year after, and the year after that. Wow. It's resulted in enormous publicity for our client in, in exactly the kind of of markets where we want to attract that attention. So That's now uh, the, the mommies and daddies are starting to flood to Word World's website to find out more. Interesting. And uh, all of that advance work resulted in, you know, FAO Schwartz just reopened in New York. Oh, okay. And Las Vegas. Okay. And uh, FAO Schwartz is going after really exclusivity. They're going for quality products and they're looking for stuff at least at the outset that folks like Walmart and Toys R Us won't yet be selling. Mm -hmm. What and they used to be. as a result of all of this, Word World now has its own department at FAO Schwartz. That's phenomenal. That's okay, phenomenal. Okay, this was all done with, with the germ of a public relations idea. And then taking that idea to the next step, building a program around that, and making the program happen. Uh, so let me ask you a question, if we sure. can, maybe using them as an example. And you've got a ton of really impressive examples that people can identify with. Okay. Um, which is great. So I, I kind of want to go over everything. Okay. But can we maybe take a step back and walk people through this process out there? Because I, I love the concept that we're using um, a current company that's a startup. Okay. You know, they came to you, they didn't have an advertising budget, but you were able to, you took some time, you did some research to understand what was happening in the marketplace and where there was a significant hole in which right. you could introduce this company. Yep. Um, you created the relationship with Riff. What does that relationship look like and how long has this process taken from, let's say, them employing you to you being able to roll out the program not only with Riff, but introduce this also to FEO Schwartz in an exclusive manner? Uh, from beginning to now, six months. Okay. And what are some, like, what are... What's the process that people should maybe look for, like a diagram to help people if they're, they're wanting to launch a product or okay. a service? I guess step number one, Brandy, would be to put together a believable presentation. If anything is too much of a stretch, toss it out. Okay. And how do you, how do you, how can you, because, you know, I think that it's interesting because I, I, I know that, that you have said in the past that you know, there's a, well, we, and we say on, on, on cover story all the time, there's a difference between what we believe as newsworthy versus what other can people consider to be newsworthy. Yeah. And sometimes you can get kind of full of yourself because you get excited about your own product and you believe it can do, you know, backflips and hops and well, skips. Well, you know, I guess, Brandy, one of the advantages of that is being in this business for such a long time is that you know at, at this point, if I don't know it after more than 30 years in the business, I'll never know it. No, no, no. Not you personally. No, I understand No, I know that, you're right. But I mean, you have, you have to get to know your audiences. And when I'm talking about audiences, if you're selling a product or a service and it's going out to a consumer audience, well, you better be pretty clear on, on who that market is. But by the same token, 
you have to know, really know the media you're going after. Uh, if you're going after television shows, be sure to watch those shows to see their formats, to see the kind of things they're doing, to see the personalities involved. Okay. If you're going after print media, be sure to read those magazines. If you're going after newspaper columnists, read those columnists. Never, never insult the integrity of anyone in the media you're trying to reach. If you're going to them with a story or an idea that has absolutely no place in what they do, you'll, you'll get turned away quickly and, and, and the, the door will rarely be open for you to come back. You know, so so you, that's, that's you, an excellent point. You better know point. who you're going after mm-hmm. and why and what makes them tick. A hundred percent. You know, what an excellent, excellent, excellent point because, you know, sometimes people want to get out there in this mass approach and establishing rapport with people and knowing what they're trying to achieve and understanding their style will allow them to align themselves more strongly with you. Oh, absolutely. Because, you see, it becomes, it becomes a question of, of mutual respect and trust. If you're going to the media and, and you are very familiar with what motivates that media, who their audience is and why, and if you're going to, to you know, people within a publication, if you know their style, mm-hmm. and you have to study that, you have to follow that, you have to be a real news hound yourself to go after these things. But once you do that, if you come to them with something, at least they know that you understand what they are about. Right, and, then and you if you don't understand that, then you're wasting your time. You're wasting their time, and it isn't even a wasted step. It's a step back. Well, because I agree with you. You know, we have an opportunity to walk through an open door, but once, most of the time. Absolutely. And, you know, but let me ask you a question. Talk about an opening door. Yes. If you wouldn't mind sticking around, David, Mick, and Barry, uh, let's take a break and thank our wonderful advertisers. And if you'll stick around, we'll be right back with Barry Schwartz, president of. Schwartz Public Relations Associates. WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. High-quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearchMedia.com today. Are you ready? to optimize your website's full potential? Well, it's all about positioning. Trusted by search engines for delivering clean and optimized content pages for customers. The trusted feeds industry pioneers at Position Technologies will help you build a solid foundation for creating long-term impact on you and your customers' bottom line. So visit PositionTechnologies.com today and look forward to achieving new heights within the search engines. Commercials off. Now back to... 
cover story. We're reserving a headline for you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Barry, thank you for hanging out during the break. Okay. This is, uh, this is terrific. For those of you that perhaps are just tuning in now, we have Barry Schwartz with us. He's the president of Schwartz Public Relations Associates out of Manhattan, which is very exciting. And um, Barry's been involved in a lot of extremely impressive public relations launches and helped to take um, things that we take for granted, let's say in today's world. You were the person that really put those in, the, in our homes. Okay. I'm very impressed. And what we've been discussing thus far, I think the key points to what you've been saying is know your marketplace, do proper research when you're launching a product or service, understand who your marketplace is. Um, Obviously, public relations is a key component to any company launch. And uh, when you're going after the media, make sure you understand the media outlets that you're attracting and try to get to know whether it's the editors, the journalists, whomever, personally, their style. Um, and their intent so that you can give them what they want. And once they have what they want, you establish a rapport and mutual respect. Uh, you can get some great press out of it. So here we are right now. And I think prior to the break, you guys, we were discussing um, how to take that launch, how you took the launch of your new company that you're representing. And you went to Riff. And um, they're now including now, you. Now, you didn't know anybody at Riff. You just called them out of a, a cold call, right? That's right. Really, I went to their website and uh, said, uh, I'd like to talk to the person in charge of marketing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, how, that's how the dialogue started. Right. And again, everyone, Riff is reading is fundamental. Yeah. But I, think that's, I think that's an important point that, there, that no matter what you do, there's a certain amount of legwork and, uh, that you just have to do, cold calling and and research and well and you know something david you've got an excellent point it's something that we're always trying to stress on this show it's easier to fall down a flight of stairs than it is to crawl back up and don't wait for someone to bring an awesome opportunity to you be inspired by what you do and create that opportunity for yourself that's right you know because at the end of the day you're responsible for you and that's how great ideas are culminated right now now can i uh, address a section where i think both uh, PR and the media were both guilty. Okay. Uh, can we use those dreaded words, dot com? <laughs> we can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, th- this, this was a classic case, a very sad case, in which really both sides were guilty of overhype. Okay. And, uh, you're saying dot com, and you're talking about the dot coms in general? Well, the whole dot com uh, boom and bust. Oh, yeah, I mean, talk about, but what a great PR job to an extent. I mean, there's a lot of people that got really rich, and there's a lot of people that got really poor, all based on the ability to inflate. That's right, but <laughs> too much of it, unfortunately, was, was based on air and hype mm-hmm. and not enough reality. I mean, I, for one, never quite understood what everyone was describing as the new paradigm. And when the paradigm was explained to me, then I still didn't understand it because I couldn't quite figure out how uh, any company could have a capitalization uh, larger than a Fortune 500 company uh, with no money coming in. <laughs> right, and sold no products. <laughs> exactly. No, I hear you, Amazon. And, uh, <laughs> and so frequently, uh, you know, as, as an agency, we had a lot of these wannabes coming after us as an agency to represent them, and then we were asking them questions like, well, wait a second. 
our own research indicates that uh, the size of the market you're after is uh, X hundreds of millions of dollars. And there are about 20 potential players in that market. So if you, uh, if you really had 100% of that market, you would be worth about $200 million. Where does the $5 billion come from? Okay, and how was that explained to you? It was never explained to me. <laughs> and I've always had a problem with that. So fortunately, as an agency, we did quite well because we walked away from a lot of that stuff. And yes, maybe, maybe we missed opportunity for a quick buck or two along the way, but neither did we get burned. Well, and, and the battlefield was littered with a lot of PR agencies who had to substantially cut their staffs and or some who even went out of business. That's hard. Because of the fallout from the dot-com crash. Right. Let me ask you a question, though. But are, are you seeing today things being a little bit more realistic? in Very regard? much so, okay. because uh, a couple of years ago, we became involved as an agency in the field of nanotechnology. Okay. Could you explain to people, like myself, <laughs> what nanotechnology is exactly? Well, we like to describe nanotechnology as the next small, small thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, f for th those of us who are not scientists, and include me in that group, basically nanotechnology in involves the means in which molecules are so small that you can't even dream of their size, okay. can be bonded together in certain ways to improve a wide variety of products and services. And, and the fields that they encompass... Uh, range from uh, medicine to manufacturing to so many things. I mean, uh, there's a company out there called uh, Nanotex, mm -hmm. and uh, they created a process by which they're using nanotechnology to make uh, textile fibers bond more closely together so that it... it it's no longer a question of a fabric being stain-resistant, okay. but rather it's absolutely stain-proof. Hardened. Okay. And uh, it's already in, I mean, uh, uh, Lee's Jeans now has them. Okay. It's going into home furnishings and things like that. There are folks out there who are developing uh, paints or various coatings uh, utilizing nanotechnology so that steel beams won't rust. Let me or ask that can be used in light filaments to make uh, your light bulb burn better and longer at less cost. Which is, I mean, it's kind of like the new plastic, to sort of. It's, uh, I mean, it's just amazing. But let me ask you a question. So, so you one, one of my uh, account. Uh, people who was much more technically and scientifically oriented than I am recognized this early on, and as a result of that, we became at the start the uh, pro bono agency for the Nano Business Alliance. Okay, which, which was a rather uh, loose confederation of companies that wanted to be in the industry. Okay. It's now grown substantially and has grown to the point now where we have a number of really good commercial clients in that field. Now, how do you take, you know, when you have an alliance of companies like that, how do you take, I mean, because we, we the people listening to the radio show are really a wide variety of people. We have some, you know, public relations 
powerhouses out there listening. We've got people who are out there promoting their own businesses, people that are working for large corporations. Right. Um, you know, but, but I really want to get to the nuts and bolts with you about some of the things that you do that you think have led to some of your best successes when it comes to launching a new product or service or even reintroducing or re-slanting, let's say, a product or service that's already been introduced to the marketplace, but it needs a facelift. Okay. You know... Well, I mean, with, uh, let's stay with nanotechnology okay, for a little perfect. bit. Okay. Uh, there, it was the selling of an idea at first, and it was interesting because we made it quite clear to the folks in the business alliance because, you know, word gets out that nano is hot. And then, uh, you know, there is the possibility of a media frenzy coming after that, especially since all of that developed so soon after the dot-com bust. So, so there were folks covering technology in the media who were interested in the next big story. Our advice to the Alliance, which fortunately they listened to, was that let's be very, very conservative in disseminating this kind of news. Okay. Uh, we don't want hype. We want reality. And as a matter of fact, the nanotech companies were very smart because a lot of them are allied with universities, so they are joint ventures. Right. Because they are so scientifically related, they came to the realization, and correctly so, mm-hmm. that uh, to, to really make it commercially in the world of nanotechnology, you had to have real product. Okay. You had to have a truly defined, and a lot of it had to be patented. Okay, that makes you know, sense. For protection. Absolutely. Okay, so that uh, there was the hesitancy, and rightfully so, not to overhype anything before it actually happens. So they don't lose control either. They weren't or putting money into themselves. marketing. They were putting money into R&D. Okay. So what now? Did you help shape? Exactly. We the... helped shape that policy. Okay. And because uh, un- unlike what happened in dot-com times when people were getting these massive infusions of, of investment capital, and the prevailing word, words in those days were burn rate. You know, how fast is your burn rate? Right. Well, mine is so-and-so. Uh, the nano companies weren't interested in that. The nano companies wanted to take their funding and put it into something that will eventually turn into something tangible. Okay. Not just an idea, but tangible. Right, where they're using it now, as you said, like in lead genes. And so and- now, as they are slowly evolving into products that are coming to market that's when marketing and we'll call it product publicity kick in. Fabulous. Now, do you, will you be working with? Now, do you do you promote based on the deals that they've made to be able to showcase a technology via, let's say, now this is nanotechnology has been incorporated into lead genes. That's right. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, in other words, you're you're really talking on a couple of different levels. You're talking to the financial community. Okay. Through the business financial press. Because okay. some of these companies are publicly held, mm-hmm. or they are planning an IPO, mm-hmm. so you want to set the stage for that. Okay. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you are going after the various markets where their product or service is aimed. Okay. So you can go uh, horizontally, broad scale, going after major business or other publications. So we're talking about Wall Street Journal or New York Times or Business Week or what have you. 
but then you all have, you also have to look vertically. You have to look at the trade publications that are directly involved with those industries and go after them to uh, explain the product or process. Right, because, because those the, are your future those are the partners publications going that forward. their eventual customers will exactly. be reading. Exactly. So you're reaching out to a variety of audiences, but you're reaching out to those audiences with a plan. Which is so important. And you help keep them focused that they execute their plan in, in, a, in a certain process so that today they've established credibility. They're protecting themselves because the technology that they've created, they own. Exactly. And well, I mean, I'll give you a, a, a case in point. I, I will not uh, name the journalist who came after us early on, but when, when, when Nano was perceived as the next thing, Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this particular journalist wanted to do a story. Do you remember that old science fiction movie where uh, they were able to reduce doctors to minuscule size, inject them into somebody's bloodstream, and perform surgery? Oh. Yeah, that was The uh, Incredible Journey, I think. That's right, or Fantastic Voyage. I, I forget what it Fantastic was called. Fantastic Voyage, maybe. Fantastic was, yeah. Voyage, I think it was called. Um, there was someone from a major publication who wanted to do a nano story using that as a lead-in, as saying that the, this is what's going to happen in the future. And we, speaking for the alliance, said, <laughs> no way. <laughs> right, right. We don't want to go there. Well, that's a little, right. That, that's, I mean, it's fun, but that's a little spooky. I mean, na- nano may be uh, beyond the, the realm of, of uh, understanding right now for a lot of people out there because it is so highly technical, but mm-hmm. we still wanted to deal with reality. We, we didn't want to go into fantasy land. Right. Well, I mean, because that takes away from what is all important, the credibility. Of course. 100%. And speaking about credibility, ooh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, David. And that underscores the the, um, importance of knowing which editors you you need to target. Yes, of course. Um, Even even in the vertical publications, there are are editors that handle specific segments of that vertical market. Oh, absolutely. And, And, you know, frankly, for a PR agency or anyone going after this, it requires an enormous amount of, of research. I mean, you, you, you're going to have to become familiar with publications whose titles you can barely understand. <laughs> right. But you have to, and if you don't know them, then you have to have somebody on staff or a freelancer who knows them and can explain it to you. Right, because, right, because they're not there to educate you, you're there to educate them in regard to something that's a good exactly, fit. Exactly, because, I mean, the worst thing in the world uh, would then be to uh, position a story about your client to a publication and have the editor tell you, we don't do that. Right, right. Which, Oops. Right, exactly. And meanwhile, now you're the front person for that company. Right, so it's an embarrassment for everybody exactly. involved. Exactly. So if you wouldn't mind, we need to take one more lovely break, but we would love to come right back with you, Barry. Okay. All right, super. Hang on, guys. Here okay. on Cover Story. Boxer shorts or blazer? Come dressed as you are at webmasterradio.fm. Attention webmasters. Wish you could convert more web traffic into cash? No need to rub a lamp. Just click on genienose.com. Install a co-branded search box on your site or incorporate paid listings XML into search results. And at your command, genienose.com pays cash for each result your users click on. Enjoy prompt payment and superior customer service. Earn even more through our co-branded referral program. Genie knows how to deliver results. G-E-N-I-E-K-N-O-W-S.com. Proud sponsor of the Webmaster World. More and more women are experiencing amazing pleasures, enjoying playful chocolates from PlayfulCash.com. All natural gourmet Colombian treats.
treats that are simply sinful. As a PlayfulCash.com affiliate, you'll enjoy weekly payouts up to 50% on all sales of these trademark and patented products. Multiple payout options, 5% referral fees, and private labeling available. Isn't life sweet when Playful is highly profitable? For more money-making info, visit PlayfulCash.com today. Unlock the adventure. Your key to the hottest games on the net. From Ultima Online to Dark Age of Camelot is here. Introducing Duo Cash. Duo Cash. Available wherever prepaid calling cards are sold or online at duocash.com. Enjoy instant access to the ultimate internet gaming excitement. Anywhere you see paybycash.com or Duo Cash. No credit card or bank account required. Game merchants and webmasters, get your game on. Don't leave money on the table except Duo Cash. Sign up today for the official prepaid game card. Of the internet. Tulsa to Tunisia, Boston to Bogota. All united through webmasterradio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Cover Story this fine Wednesday afternoon. We're very lucky to have with us Barry Schwartz. Barry, welcome back to Cover Story. Thank you, Brandy. Hey, so let me... Uh, I'd like to bring this home to everybody, if we could. I've been sort of biting at the chomp the whole time to say something to you. Rubik's Cube! Rubik's Cube! Oh, my God! In Legos! Yes, indeed. Actually, Lego was my introduction to uh, the toy industry. What an introduction. I think it was was a toy industry's introduction to you. In a very strange way, uh, I was representing Samsonite luggage at the time. Okay. And uh, Samsonite was in the process of uh, starting a new factory operation in Europe, and, and the boss was over there and saw these uh, little molded plastic bricks that were so popular in Europe. They came out of Denmark originally. Okay. And uh, he, being uh, an enterprising type, uh, tracked the folks down in Denmark and said, uh, we can make those uh, because we do injection molded right, uh, right. luggage. How interesting. And so, uh, Lego was introduced to the United States under license to Samsonite Luggage. How interesting. Who uh, had a factory in Loveland, Colorado. Oh, my God. We just moved from Boulder, and, Colorado. And would, uh, <laughs> would pump those little bricks out there, uh, and uh, it was a great success. And we represented Lego for something like 10 years before they wow. finally went in-house with public relations. So and now they're scattered all over my house. <laughs> uh, me too. I've got... I still, I mean, now I have grandkids, but I mean, I have suitcases full of it. Wow. But, but it was interesting because at the, to- at the outset, it was not an easy sell. Uh, yeah, we I mean, came how up, do you We go? came up with the tagline that they used for quite a long time. We said, uh, create, uh, uh, creates everything the mind imagines. Ah, I grew up with Legos that. around, so. And <laughs> that time I felt that, you know, Lego did exactly that. And but to to try to convince the media at the outset that that this would be something that kids could have some fun with, yeah, was quite difficult. And then we came up with the idea of uh, building contests, right? And then uh, we uh, stole a page from what they were doing successfully in Europe. And Samsonite created their own Lego modeling shop, where they would do these uh, larger than life. Uh, Wow, replicas of things like the Empire State Building and so forth. And we would get them off to toy stores and department stores. And then we did fashion shows with kids uh, posing against, uh, you know, Lego buildings and things like that. And little by little, 
it uh, it really caught on. How long? And then we uh, also, because we knew that a number of prominent architects uh, in Europe, uh, folks like Eero Saarinen, for example, used Lego for their building designs because they could change the structure of the design just by taking the bricks apart. So we went to uh, Pratt Institute in New York, which is uh, one of the leading architectural schools, and uh, we convinced the head of their architectural design department to create the city of the future made out of Lego. Wow. And Samson and I provided them with thousands and thousands of, of Lego bricks, and about four months later, that city was built. It was, it was huge. I mean, it was in a room about 50 feet long. And it was just incredible. And as a result of that, we got coverage on things like the Today Show and Network News and major magazines. That's fabulous. And from that point on, it took off. Wow. Uh, this is a product launch, and so this is what I, what the kind of stuff I'm interested in. When you, when you introduced Legos, what other toys were in that space that you were competing well, against? Well, it's, it's interesting because it, there was nothing quite like that. I mean, the old standby was uh, the Erector set, which was, tinker, you know, yeah, basically steel girders set. and so forth. Yeah. Uh, there were Tinker Toys, which were, you know, wooden spindles and knobs and things of that type. But right. no one, no one had been doing anything like this for injection-molded plastic. And, and the infinite variety of things that you could create with that and the very fact that it was so easy to take apart after you did it, 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 it meant that mommy and daddy just weren't spending their money on a toy that once used would never be used again. Right. But rather it would be used over and over and over again. True. How? And uh, that was a very compelling selling point oh, 100%. in those days, and it remains so. No, 100%. I was just having that conversation with my cousin this morning about, about her Hanukkah gifts and saying, you know, it's, it's the build-up to the present. I right. like playing hot and cold, you know, than actually the gift in, in most chances. But this, I personally like something that, you know, kids can play with and use their imagination to help them continue to believe in themselves. Which yes, I mean, you see the kids really get involved. It, 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 it's hands-on, so you have the tactile sensation, and then the realization mm-hmm. when the child has built something, even whether you recognize it or not, the child sees something in what they've built. Oh, 100%. And, and, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. How long did it take you from, you know, being like of Samsonite mind and, and taking this project on? Like, how long was that process until... Really, you know, Legos was embraced by the American population. It was about a year. Okay. It, it, it you know, like they say in show business, there are no, you know, overnight successes. <laughs> this is true. This was not an overnight success. And indeed, Samsonite had a problem early on of even convincing the retailers to carry it because the retailers didn't even get the idea. Wow. Isn't that interesting? And, but you, I mean, that's great messaging. Right, and it's something that everyone can identify with, and you're not pigeonholing. So, I mean, yourself. we attacked it then on a twofold front because then Samsonite went over the went to the retailers with something of value, and that was providing them with uh, beautifully built Lego models that they could use in their store. So they're giving them essentially, you know, free displays. Design, right. And also, we came oh, up brilliant. with the idea of having tables uh, sent to some of the more important retailers with, with a, a large wire basket built into the table with loose Lego bricks where kids could actually sit in the store and build something. 
Ah, now that's 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 brilliant. Okay, but this took some talking to 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 the retailers because they meant they were giving up valuable floor space right. to something that they didn't really know anything about. Wow. Well, the smart ones among them saw the advantage of that, and then once that kicked in, everybody wanted it. Isn't it interesting, right? You know the philosophy of you know if you can so, close I mean, a big one, uh, the while well, that follow. wasn't essentially public relations in the sense of uh, producing newspaper and magazine clippings or airtime, it was still public relations because we knew that once the public saw this at retail, they would get the idea, and once a parent saw the child actually doing something with Lego, and we had any number of instances where a child had to be carried kicking and screaming out of the store, uh huh, then mm. we knew we arrived. A hundred percent. I love what a great story. And that, then the, the, the next natural thing was the media to say, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then when we gave them things like the city of the future and then building contests where kids were building unusual things, then, then it became just a, a, a consistent natural big buzz. That's phenomenal. And the rest, as they say, is history. There you go. There you go. I mean, but it's interesting because when you do look backwards... You know, it's something that we take for granted. There, yeah. are, there are definite steps that you... Well, I mean, Rubik's Cube is an interesting example of that, too. Yeah, I could kill you for that whole Rubik's Cube incident. Well, uh, <laughs> our, our client at the time was Ideal Toy. Okay. And Ideal uh, showed us at a uh, Toy Fair preview. Toy Fair is this annual show for the toy trade every, every February. And so we were at a planning meeting in January, and we saw Rubik's Cube for the very first time. And I've always been an avid games and, and puzzle player. Okay, as am I. So <laughs> I saw that, and I said, boy, that's hard. Yes. Did you, and, did you solve the puzzle? Uh, and they said, yeah, but it's uh, something invented by this Hungarian professor, Erno Rubik. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, have the, we have the international rights. And uh, we think that maybe it'll sell about 100,000 units. <laughs> and uh, we said, okay, yeah, it may have a chance. How long does it take to solve one of these things? <laughs> That's the next question. <laughs> right. So they had their, their uh, product development manager there, and, and he said, he's really good. He can do it in about a half an hour. And we said, That's terrific. Do you think people are going to hang around that long? Right, right. And so they they introduced it at Toy Fair, and interest from the trade was was reasonably good, and and they would have been able to make their forecast of about 100,000 units. And then, as serendipity would have it, I I showed it to uh, a a college student that I knew who was very quick with these kind of things. Okay. And he managed to solve it in under 10 minutes. Wow. And that's when the light bulb went on over my head. Okay, which was? I said, okay. I said to my friend, if you really, really practice with this, how long would it take you to solve it? And he said, I think I could get it down to under five minutes. (laughs) So then I went to Ideal and I said, I want to get several hundred cubes. I want to give them away. I want to send them to... uh, certain number of colleges around the country to the student activity directors and just say, have fun with this, and we will offer a prize to anyone who uh, can justify that they can solve this 
under five minutes. Okay. And we said that uh, Without we will give it you apart, a fifty-dollar gift card. Yeah, we're peeling the stickers off. <laughs> 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 look at it! Look at it! My, you know, necessity is the uh, mother invention. <laughs> so what happened? What happened was that uh, we we sent the stuff out there, not knowing what kind of a response would happen, and uh, we uh, we got a we got a call from some students at Berkeley. And uh, they said that they were th- with a fraternity and they had their own contest and there were some guys in the fraternity who could solve Rubik's Cube in under three minutes. Oh. And we said, that's it. So we uh, convinced a local retailer in San Francisco. Uh, we said that Ideal would pay for the ad, run an ad saying, come in and see if you can solve Rubik's Cube and anyone who solves it in under three minutes will get a $100 gift certificate. How fabulous. Okay. So this fraternity came in en masse. We notified some friends in the San Francisco media who had received cubes and couldn't solve them. <laughs> right. That makes me feel better about myself. come <laughs> down to the store and watch this in action. Okay. Well, we hit three local television shows, the San Francisco newspapers, and that was the beginning. Wow. How many people showed up on that glorious beginning uh, Oh, a couple hundred people showed up. These kids from the fraternity uh, did it. Wow. It then attracted the attention of Martin Gardner, who was writing for Scientific American. Okay. And he did about a six-page treatise on solving Rubik's Cube. Right. I remember all of those. Like, they're, they're, they had these documents on how right. the various ways to solve and, this one. And 11 million cubes later, we knew how we had a success. Wow. Isn't that, um, I mean, that is. In fact, we knew we arrived when I got a call once from the art director from Time magazine asking our permission to use their own take on Rubik's Cube uh, to show that the uh, global political situation was in a mess and couldn't be solved. And they took the globe and made it look like Rubik's Cube. (laughs) You know, I guess that's almost, that's making you a verb. Oh, yes. So that, that, that was great That's fun. And you want to hear the best of all? No. I have yet to solve Rubik's Cube. Good. Makes me feel better as a human being. <laughs> I mean, so it, in it, PR, it, you, know, have, you have to know how to sell. You don't necessarily know how to do. You, know you can always take them apart and put them back together. Exactly. Oh, I've done that, and I've and thrown it against the wall a few times as well. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, you know, yeah. then other things would just fall into place because then we had... People would come to us with book ideas on how to do this, how to do that. I mean, it was just remarkable. Right, from, from your own company perspective. But are you ready for this? Okay. At the outset, when our client was introducing a Rubik's Cube at Toy Fair, because sometimes that becomes like a social event, Okay. we wanted to keep it, you know, in the whole dexterity thing and so forth, but, but our client, uh, they overruled us on this point, so they hosted a party and the person who introduced this Hungarian product to the world was Zsa Gabor. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, that went absolutely nowhere. I, I couldn't, I mean, what would you, I can't, darlings, darlings, please. <laughs> I went to that party under protest. <laughs> She's kind of a, I'm not going to say. I, I've had several dealings with, with Ms. Gabor. So, no, actually, I, I crossed paths with her a couple of times since then, and she was a delightful lady to work with, but she had absolutely nothing to do with Rubik's Cube. No, I, I've dealt with her on a couple of issues, and she is very interesting. 
She is very interesting, and she is absolutely and positively her own person. So for that, I really respect her for. Oh, yeah, she's wonderful. But, yeah, but, she, but she's a trip, <laughs> to say the least. She's definitely a trip. Um, terrific. So today, I mean, goodness, so, so you have taken things that, I mean, we really, it's amazing the things that we consider to be um, sort of cornerstones of our lives. Mm-hmm. And you've introduced them to us. I think that's amazing. It's kind of scary to think about it, but I guess you're right. Yeah, I usually am right. So, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I never get to say that. And <laughs> you're you're too polite to refute it. So <laughs> that's a great thing. But Barry, I am going to ask you. I don't think that we could cover enough pertinent information with you for our listening audience in one hour. Um, and I'm going to ask you perhaps if we can have you back here shortly for another interview on Cover Story. Sure. Just let me know when. I have to dash off to another meeting right now, do. but I'd be delighted to talk to you again. This is terrific, and you've made an awesome difference in our listening audience. I think everyone's a little bit more inspired. I think they're all thinking about their next Rubik's Cube. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me know what it is. We'll try to help you sell it. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much. Um, just have a great rest of your day. Have a wonderful uh, holiday week, and um, I look forward to speaking with you very soon. Thank you. And then later tonight, I'm heading for an indoor pool. Ah, uh, no, yeah, there no. There you go. No, you'll get on a plane tonight. We're reserving a lounge chair for you. <laughs> Not possible. <laughs> Everything is possible. I think you proved that today. <laughs> All right. Well, it's yourself. great talking to you folks, and we'll do it again. Sounds perfect. Thanks, Barry. Thank you very much, Greg. Okay, bye-bye. All right, ciao. David, Mick, hello. Hey. David, I'm like, David and Mick, where'd they go on me? <laughs> you guys, another co- cover story in the can. This hey, that, that man's inspiring, I tell you. Just, just listening to some of the things he's been involved in and looking at a little bit of his bio, going to the site, seeing some of the client pool he's worked with. Um, hello? Hey, I agree with you. It's, it's incredible, Mick, the, uh, the amount of work that he's done, the various industries um, that he's been involved with. It is inspiring. And I think that the most interesting thing is when you listen to sort of the steps that he took, to create these giant um, successes is it all made sense and he, and he reached out to people to get as much information as possible so that when he made his point of entry, he knew who his marketplace was, he knew who his competition was, he knew who the press was and then when you reach out like that, it's really, it's, it makes things a lot easier to launch and it, it just those steps are baby steps that grow into leaps and bounds. So, um, that I just, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed listening to him. Uh, a brilliant man. So, you guys, I just want to say thank you to everybody. David McGinnis, president of PR Web. What an honor to uh, share the floor with him. And Mick Jolly, you guys rock. We'll see you next week on Cover Story.